Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. This Q&A is a supplement to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of Tucson. If you have questions about previous studies, this is an opportunity for you to be able to ask those questions. But we will take questions on any topic uh, about the Bible or prophecy or even nuances in our lives on how we're to live things that the Bible says. Uh, Our first question comes from a question that was asked at the end of a previous Q&A from Jo Ellen, and she asked, what does it mean when the Bible says, don't judge? Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged. And this is greatly misunderstood. Obviously, there are people who use it as a way to justify their sin. They're involved in unrepentant, sinful behavior, When someone confronts them, they say Jesus said not to judge. We obviously know that that is wrong, and there's several reasons for that. The Bible says in, in Galatians 6, if anyone is in a sin, you who are spiritual, go to such a one in a spirit of humility and restore them, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So in order to approach someone in sin, you have to be spiritual, you have to be humble. We know that 2 Timothy tells us we need to be not argument, we, we need to not argue, and um, encouraging people to make things right with God. So we know that's not what it's saying. And if someone wants to justify sin, they're going to justify it in all kinds of ways. I've seen every kind of sin justified. But if you want to go and correct someone who has an unrepented sin in their lives, then you got to make sure you meet those qualifications of being spiritual, of being humble. And we're going to see in our text as we take a look at it, because we're going to go into the context to see exactly what this means. Judge not lest you be judged. Because this is something that as Christians, we have to get it right. We know the main abuse, but are we getting this right? Are we not judging people? And this is and, and doing what Jesus said. And of course, the context, context is king, right? We say that all the time. Context is king. And so we're gonna go to the context to take a look at what it really says. But our interest here is not how people might misuse it in order to justify their sin. But what was Jesus saying to me as a Christian? Because I really want to get this correct. I want to get this right. So I want to go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. And um, here is our passage. So this is Matthew 7, 1. Jesus starts off and he's starting off with a new topic. Oftentimes it's a carryover from the old chapter. This is a new topic. Judge not that you be not judged. So that's the statement that he makes. What is judging? When you judge someone, you're sitting as a judge over them. You're putting yourself in a position of an authority over someone. Judge not lest you yourself be judged. But then Jesus said, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. Now, this is like the the passage that says, the mercy you give is the mercy you're going to receive. Therefore, I want to be the most merciful person that I can be because I want God's mercy in my life. And if I'm going to be judged by the means that I judge other people, it would be better for me not to do what Jesus said or to do what Jesus said and not judge people. Because if I'm not judging people, then I can't have that brought back into my life again. The way I judge is how I'm going to be judged. The Bible also says that we are judged by our words. So we're talking about someone and we're talking someone down and then we're doing the same exact thing. And God goes, okay, 
Well, if you're going to talk about them and what they're doing, or you're going to judge it this way, then I'll judge it that way. He goes on to say, for with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. This is why it's so important for us to get this right. If I'm looking at someone's life, um, we, let's just take something that's a gray area. We all know that if someone is involved in a direct sin, something the Bible says is sin, getting drunk, sexual uh, immorality, um, outbursts of anger, we all know those are wrong. But let's just go to gray areas. Let's say that there's somebody after church they walk out of church and I'm leaving to go to the other campus and they walk around behind the building. I see them put a cigarette in their mouth and light it. They're a fairly new Christian. And I go, oh man, those people, that, that guy, you know, he just goes, he goes and smokes a cigarette after every service. Now, what I don't know is what I don't know about his life. So God might not be dealing with him at all about smoking. God might not be concerned about the smoking at all. God might be getting some other areas of his life together. And I just judged him. Or worse, if I'm talking to someone and I say, you know, Jeff, I see him going out behind over the, the building and smoking all the time. Can you believe that? And now they go, they cluck their tongue and they go, yeah, I can't believe that. And now we're judging him when we don't have any idea what's going on in his life. We haven't taken time to get to know him. We're just simply tearing him down down. The, uh, the parable that Jesus used, which helps us not to understand how we can judge wrongly, is the Pharisee who walks up to the temple and says, I thank you, God, that I, I tithe uh, all that I have and that I pray, you know, twice a day and I fast and I'm not like that Pharisee. But he knew nothing about that Pharisee. The Pharisee wouldn't even come close. Excuse me, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, thank you, I'm not like that tax collector. But he knew nothing about that tax collector. And so the tax collector instead beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, one of them, that man, I tell you the truth, that man left with the sins forgiven instead of the other. That's why we don't want to judge. We don't want to begin to feel like we're superior because we're religious, because we've been in church, because we have a religious background. We want to remember <clears throat> that, that God honors humility and we want to stay humble. I like to say, I don't want to be the judge of anybody and I don't want to be the boss of anybody. Now, in reality, I am a, the boss of some people, right? I head up a staff, but I want to be gracious with them as well. And I want to believe the best out of them. <clears throat> when someone comes and says, so-and-so is doing this, I want to believe the best. I think that that is the application of love believes all things, that I'm believing the best in them. I'm not immediately believing the worst. Now, I might have the best confirmed that that's not what's happening. But until then, I like to say, well, let's just see what, what they, you know, let's see what they say. It may, maybe, there's, maybe there's a reason that they've done this that we don't know. And it's funny, we're so good at justifying our own sin and so good at condemning someone else in their sin that we should be judging ourselves and then we won't be judged. If we were harsher on ourselves and lighter on other people, that would be the better way to go. <clears throat> We all know people are going to justify sin, um, and I've seen every possible sin justified, even adultery justified. And people are going to judge it, and they're going to justify it, and oftentimes say, don't judge me. And they're just misusing that passage. We know that. But the importance of this is understanding what the passage is. Now, it goes on to say, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? So, see, he's talking about this very thing, that I'm walking around judging people, but I got problems in my own life. Instead, I should judge myself. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye, and you got a plank in your own eye? 
obviously hypocrite. That's the problem Jesus is addressing with judgment. If I am going around judging other believers, I've got things in my own life, I'm feeling better, but the hypocrisy is ugly to God. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now that I got the plank out of my eye, I'm spiritual and humble and can go to them in a spirit of gentleness to restore them. It says, do not give what is holy to the dogs. I've got to decide who the dogs are. Don't cast your pearls before swine. I've got to decide who the swine is. So it doesn't mean that I don't have discernment, that I don't judge by having discernment, lest they trample it underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. Uh, he goes down to, I think it's verse 15 here. Let me get there. In verse 15, and he says, um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, okay, here we go. Yeah, 15. Beware of false prophets. So we have to judge when someone's a false prophet or not, who comes to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You do not know them. You will know them by their fruit. So you're looking at their fruit instead of judging them. So it's possible to judge someone wrongly, but we need to judge who a false teacher is or who a false prophet is, and we do that by comparing it to the Word of God. All right? So <clears throat> I'm not as concerned about those that try to justify sin by saying, don't judge me. I mean, that will always happen. There's a lot more passages in which people will do that. I am more concerned about us making sure that we get this right, that we don't walk around judging people, that we believe the best in people, that we believe all things. Doesn't mean we, we won't be wrong, but I would rather believe the best in someone and be proven wrong than to believe the worst in them and then to be proven wrong. I want to, to believe that God's moving in the lives of people, that you are a child of God and God wants the very best for you. So thank you, Joellen, for that question. I really do appreciate it. And hopefully that's helpful um, that when we hear that, it's not just about us making sure that we can, you know, get somebody that's using it to justify sin, because quite frankly, you might not be the person to correct someone. Those who are spiritual in a spirit of gentleness go and correct them. And maybe they're responding with don't judge me because we're not going in a spirit of gentleness and um, really are not making sure that we're right with God and spiritual at the time. All right, so Rod has a question. <clears throat> and Rod, good to see you. Good to have you guys join us. If you have a question, then you can write up the word question in front of it. And then write out your question, reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense. This is very important because sometimes I'll get the questions and they don't make sense and I have to guess at it and I might not cover what you're asking. So here, Rod says, did Judas receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? If so, was he not sealed until the day of redemption? Did Judas receive? Okay, so Judas, no, Judas wasn't around, right? So Judas had hung himself by the time the day of Pentecost came along. So, <clears throat> and the day of Pentecost is in um, Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1, we're told that he fell headlong and his guts burst, burst open. We're told in, in two of the Gospels that he hung himself. So, um, yeah, he, was, he did not receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But let me re-ask your question, uh, Rod, that might be a little bit more applicable. Judas was sent out by the, by, with the 70 and then sent out with the 12, had authority over demons and probably healed people. Because if all of the other disciples could heal people, but not Judas, that would have been strange. And then Judas forsook and became a son of perdition. So in this Old Testament context, we have the Holy Spirit coming upon people and leaving people like Saul. David was worried about that. And so Judas could have had the Holy Spirit 
on him when he was out doing ministry with the 12 or with the 70. Um, demons were subject to him, and yet he was still did not have his name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. All right. Um, do we want to talk about um, sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption? Uh, these are the passages that you brought in. So let's just take a look at that. Ephesians 1.13. Um, it says, I'll put this up on the screen for you. It says, <clears throat> in him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom having um, believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So this is God's seal being put upon you. The seal was a wax seal that was put over a letter, and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We belong to him. Uh, and then the other passage that you had for us there, Rod, was Ephesians 4, 29 through 30. So let me just go ahead and go there. Ephesians 4. 29, <clears throat> go ahead and bring this back up. Here it says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary, that you may impact grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the, redemp the day of redemption. I'll let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, it would seem that that's the grieving of the Holy Spirit, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, <clears throat> tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. So it seems like the grieving of the Holy Spirit is when we are angry and malice and, and, and rude towards one another instead of kind and tenderhearted. So thank you for your question, um, Rod. I appreciate that. <clears throat> Uh, um, and if you're joining us here for the very first time, really good, good to have you here. Um, I do know that we've got, at least in, the, in times past, we had some of the Facebook stuff fixed. So you can ask a question through Facebook, and I think it's submitted uh, through YouTube. So <clears throat> we'll take a look and see how this all works. I think you're able to see them all now um, reposted by Restream. But good to see you guys. Uh, good to have you here. And we have, <clears throat> good to see you, Keith. Thanks for moderating. I appreciate it. Uh, we have a question from GDH. GDH says, <clears throat> I heard a lady speaking saying that she felt some of the seals in Revelation are opened. Do you believe this? If so, which ones? Um, okay, so let's just think this through. Um, if GDH, if the tribulation period, if, if Revelation from chapter six through 19 or so is the tribulation period. And the very first seal that's torn is the Antichrist, the conqueror that comes out to conquer. And then you've got the three other horses that come along with it. There's the fiery red horse. Uh, there's the black horse. That is, there's the pale horse, which has death that follows after it. The um, fifth seal are the souls that are under the altar that cry out for judgment. Uh, the sixth seal is the cosmic disturbances on heaven and on earth. <clears throat> the seventh seal is the seven trumpets that blow after it. Uh, so if the Antichrist is the first one to come out, then I would say we're not in the tribulation period. Which one of these would be, you know, the, the spirit of Antichrist is already among us. We know that, the Bible says that. But the Antichrist hasn't been revealed. And 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, This time will not come. The day of the Lord, the gathering of ourselves together to him, will not come until um, the falling away comes first and the Antichrist is revealed. And so I do not believe that any of these seals have happened. And I don't know which ones. There's always, remember, there's birth pains that give you 
uh, types of what the last days are going to be like. <clears throat> I think that we're either in one or just coming out of one now, maybe getting ready to go in, in another one. But the birth pain will eventually bring about the Messiah. So there are false prophets, but not the Antichrist hasn't been revealed. Um, the fiery red horse uh, is war that follows after the Antichrist, and there's always been wars and rumors of wars. The black horse is a famine, and there is famine in the world today, but not on the scale you're going to find them when the four horses of the apocalypse ride out. So, no, and, and I hear people saying this periodically, that they believe that we are in the tribulation period, and that's because there are people who, you know, don't believe that we're going to be taken out before it, but I think the Bible makes it very clear that we will be gone, that we, we will be raptured. And I don't like the word rapture. Um, I think it carries a lot of connotations with it uh, that I, are not good. I like the word gathering better. But remember, the rapture is the resurrection. Whatever you believe about when the resurrection will happen, there's got to be the living that will be resurrected as well. And that's the rapture. So when people say, I don't believe in the rapture, I always like to ask them some more questions. What do you believe about the resurrection? When do you think the resurrection will happen? Do you believe there's going to be living people when they're resurrected? Remember the early church creeds, Christ came, uh, Christ is coming again to judge the living and the dead. There will be people living when Jesus returns, not only the dead. And um, we have 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, where he says, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning and then he talks about those who have fallen asleep and talks about the rapture of the church. So people are ignorant of it today, willingly, even though it's one of the three areas the Bible talks about not being ignorant in. Don't be ignorant in the coming return of the Lord. Don't be ignorant in God still working with the nation of Israel. That's Romans chapter 11. And um, don't be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. So those three things are three areas that we need to work hard that we are not ignorant in any of those three. Okay, so thank you very much, uh, GDH, for your question. Uh, we have a question uh, from Hunter Watson. Hunter, good to have you here. I think this is your first time with us. Good to see you, at least asking a question. Hunter says, what is your thoughts on can a Christian have demons? I would ask uh, the question, Hunter, what do you mean by have demons? So do you mean that he's got little pet demons around that he's walking, takes him out for a walk. Come on, demon, come out for a walk. I'm kidding. Um, but what does it mean to have a demon? Do you, do you mean possessed? If you mean possessed, which would mean, which would mean inside of, right? Like, like you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and you are possessed by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible doesn't use that terminology, but your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And I don't believe that there's compartments. People try to, again, come up with all kinds of ways to make it sound like a Christian can be demon-possessed. You cannot. A Christian cannot be demon-possessed. You have Christ inside of you. Um, the evil one can't touch you. Now, that doesn't mean you can't give a place to the enemy because the Bible says don't give a place to him. It doesn't mean that you might not be involved in things you shouldn't be involved in and that allows Satan to come in and to attack you. It doesn't mean that Satan cannot, like Paul had a thorn in the flesh, uh, a, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. So you might have demonic attacks happening in your life that you're not going to be delivered from. There are demonic attacks that are going on that are just what you're, you're facing and going through. Maybe you'll eventually be delivered. I mean, eventually you will be delivered from it, but maybe not. Um, like, like Paul, this messenger that was sent from Satan to buffet him, that continued on because of the greatness of his calling. So 
the quick answer is, can a Christian be demon-possessed? No. Uh, I don't believe they can be demonized either. I think that these are all phrases to try to accept that you need to have a demon cast out of you. Uh, you don't, but you do need to watch that you're not giving place to the enemy. And you, you need to make sure that you're fleeing temptation, that you're not giving the enemy a position in your life. And so all of those are very biblical. Put your armor on, stand and pray. And um, that doesn't mean you can be possessed, but it does mean that you give the enemy an opportunity in your life. And we don't want to give any opportunities to Satan at all. All right. Thank you, Hunter. I appreciate that. Um, we have a question from Jari. Jari, good to see you. Jari says, um, given permission, why hadn't Esther and Mordecai and some Jews not returned to Jerusalem when they had the chance to do so? Given permission, <clears throat> why hadn't Esther? Um, so let me think about this, uh, Jari. We do know that from the dispersion, not everybody returned to Jerusalem. And so Esther and, and Mordecai may not have, have, I don't know, felt led, called. Uh, I don't think the Bible tells us why they were, they were remaining there. We do know that Jews were returning to Jerusalem, but we don't know exactly what made someone, one who would go and someone who wouldn't. And I don't think, um, Jari, I don't think there's any way for us to know that. I was trying to think if we knew um, of any that didn't return and why they didn't return. Um, we do know, we mean, you know, um, Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, we, we, we know those who returned and we know why they returned, but others who didn't return, we don't know why, but God moved on Nehemiah's heart, obviously, so that he would return. So, um, I don't know that there's any reason to know that, um, unless, you know, we're, we're talking, maybe we're talking about time frame here, um, Jari, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm going to have to go back and look at the exact time frame of Esther and um, Mordecai, the, the story of Esther. <clears throat> when exactly um, was that happening? And I take it that Jews were returning already is what I think that, that it is. But I need to look at it a little bit closer. Okay, so I appreciate that. So Jari has a question about our opening question, a follow-up about our opening question which is um, follow-up, judging others, should we then not listen to heresy hunters or discernment channels created after COVID-19 calling out false teachers? Thanks. Um, so, Jari, I'm not aware exactly of what you're talking about um, with judging others. Should we not listen to heresy hunters or discernment channels? Um, discernment channels are, 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 are channels on and that are dedicated to trying to to see whether or not someone's teaching the truth. And oftentimes discernment ministries can can start painting with too broad of a brush and they bring people in that shouldn't be brought in and and that is judgment. I don't know created after COVID-19 calling out false teachers, thanks. I'm not aware of exactly what you're talking about, Jari with um COVID-19, sorry. But I do I do find that discernment ministries often cross the line. And if you're involved in discernment ministries uh, and you're listening to this, hey, I appreciate you. I really do. I appreciate you looking into the truth and wanting to know what the truth is. You just want to make sure that you're not causing guilt by association. I remember this happening with, with Chuck. 
um, Chuck Smith. Uh, Chuck Smith had been invited to a to a Great Glory Crusade. Uh, they were having Rick Warren open in prayer, and they were having Chuck greet people. So Chuck got up and greeted people, and then said, um, "Let me introduce you to my friend Rick, Rick Warren." And the discernment ministries came after Chuck because he said, "I woke. I want to welcome. I want to welcome my friend Rick Warren." Now, did Chuck teach the same things that Rick Warren taught? No. Is Rick Warren the devil in a suit? No, I don't think so. Is he a brother in Christ? Uh, you may question that, but is he a brother in Christ that's mistaken? And how would Chuck sp- uh, supposed to respond to him? So, so when Chuck got up and said, I want to introduce you to my friend, Rick Warren, he's now showing love in Christ towards him and maybe very honest about being a friend. Doesn't mean he didn't disagree with him about certain things. And you may question Greg Laurie in platforming Rick Warren by having him come and open up in prayer. But again, I don't know that Rick Warren had done such things that he couldn't be platformed like that. So that's my that that's my kind of take on discernment ministries. And, and if you're involved in them, then great. Just be careful that you don't paint with too broad of a brush because I think that that can be detrimental to uh, the family of God. All right. So again, good to see you guys. Uh, Good to um, spend some time here on this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, We have a service at six o'clock tonight, six and seven fifteen East and West Campus. Uh, We will be talking about the seven trumpets, specifically the first four trumpets and the setting by which the four trumpets are opened in the book of Revelation in chapter eight. Uh, We have a question from Empress Kimberly. Uh, Kimberly, good to see you. If you're watching us for the very first time, really glad to have you here. If you have a, a question, it can be about anything in the Bible. It can be nuanced. It can be basic. Um, it, it can be something that, you know, just you want to ask a question about. Then just write the word question, then write out your question, reread it, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. Kimberly says, my study group shared the prayer and prophecy of Washington as if it was real. I learned this was fiction. They seem to be heavy into prophetic what should I do? Ah, oh, Kimberly, I'd love to um, I'd love to talk a little bit more to you about where your study group is from. Um, are you a positive influence in the study group? Do you think they affect you more negatively than you affect them positively? Is um, uh, seem to be heavy into the prophetic. Right, not necessarily bad to be heavy into the prophetic as long as, as long as the prophetic is biblical prophecy, right? Um, I just don't know enough information, Kimberly. I'll tell you what my hesitation is. <clears throat> my hesitation is to tell you to stop going to the study group when God might will have you there at that study group for a reason. Um, if it is teaching things that are obviously false, if it's practicing things that are unbiblical, um, if <clears throat> they are, if it's not edifying to you, if it is to use a modern day term, toxic to you, then I would say you should leave perfectly, perfectly leave. Um, but with the information that you've given, I just don't have enough information to be able to tell you that I think you ought to leave it or not. It, it could be good and probably has been good for you, right? Kimberly, to stretch you in your knowledge of Christ and looking these things up and being able to go, you know what? This, 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 this part isn't right, or this is right. 
And so sometimes these things can be helpful to us, but at a certain point, you also go, you know, I, I really would like to be encouraged. I'd like to be able to open up my Bible and really be strengthened um, with, uh, with what God has for us. All right, so uh, we have a uh, question from Rakaya. Rakaya says, hi, Pastor. Hi, Rakaya. Good to see you. Um, my best friend recently gave her life to Christ. Well, that's wonderful. That's great. But she has indicated she doesn't want to be called a Christian, but follows Catholic tradition. Is her new salvation affected by this? Huh, I would want to find out why she doesn't want to be called a Christian. So Catholics want to call themselves Christians, are called Christians, and don't have a problem calling themselves a Christian. Maybe it's politics. You know, maybe Christianity is connected with the right, and so she doesn't want to connect herself to that. Um, I would want to find out a little bit more and maybe you know that, Rakaya, uh, why she doesn't, more, more of why she doesn't want to be called a Christian. Um, the Catholic tradition. Yeah. Obviously, the Word of God contains what we need for salvation. And there are Catholics that have a very real relationship with Christ, and that's really good. But they do have a tendency to put tradition up to as on par with Scripture, and that's a problem. And um, it, it always is. And um, so, um, I'm going to, boy, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to say that she's not saved because she doesn't want to be called a Christian. I would want to find out why. But I also wanna, would want to find out, okay, you, she recently gave her life to Christ. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to give your life to Christ? And how are you going to live now? And being a Christian means to be Christ-like, and they were first called Christians in Antioch. And I think I would come back to that and find out what her problem is with the word Christian, why she doesn't want to be identified with Christians. Um, I do know a lot of Jews don't want to, when Jews become Christians, they want to be called Messianic Jews instead of Christians because of the history between the Jews and the church uh, in historical Christianity. Uh, but um, maybe you can give me a little bit more information, Rakaya and I'd be able to help a little bit more. Uh, we have a question from Just and True. Just and True says, what are some practical ways to make our positional righteousness in Christ our experience? All right, well, thank you for your question. What are some practical ways to make our positional righteousness in Christ our experience? All right, well, let's just talk these things through a little bit. So we have our practical righteousness and we have our positional righteousness. So our practical righteousness is what I've done today, walking with Christ and not entering into sin or having sin that I need to repent from. That's my practical righteousness. The Holy Spirit's good at convicting me. Even when I don't think I've sinned, the Holy Spirit can convict me and let me know that I have sinned. So that's your positional righteousness or your practical righteousness. Uh, positional is that as soon as I say, Lord, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Um, Lord, I don't want to sin. I want things right with you and forgive me. And I confess my sins to him, that he forgives me. And I'm positionally holy and pure and clean before him. Now, how can I help myself to realize or experience that, that positional righteousness with Christ? And maybe that's what's meant when it says 
put on your breastplate of righteousness. I think that when we understand that we are positionally righteous with God, we're clean, we're more likely to walk in righteousness. We're more, we're more likely to have better practical righteousness when we understand our positional righteousness with Christ. I liken it to when I used to wear white tennis shoes. I haven't for a while, right? Tennis shoes now, ah, they're colored. But um, I'd get a brand new pair of white tennis shoes. And I wouldn't want to get them dirty. So I'd be very careful. I seem to just scuff shoes up. I don't know why. I'm just a sloppy walker, I guess. I don't know. I scuff shoes up. Some people can keep their shoes white and clean. But when I had brand new shoes on, I was careful. And when I understand that I'm positionally righteous with Christ, I'm clean and I'm holy. I mean, I am holy too. That positional righteousness isn't just a position in heaven. It's Robert Furrow is clean and holy. I'm more likely to be careful and to walk in that righteousness when I realize that I am righteous. So I put on that breastplate of righteousness, knowing I'm righteous with Christ and then walk in that. I think maybe something, uh, Justin True, that Charles Swindoll used to say can apply here. And that he said, keep short accounts with God. When you blow it, make things right right away. David went for a year and his bones grew old within him without repenting after Bathsheba. It's way too long. Got to keep things uh, very short, meaning deal with them immediately. As soon as you're convicted by it, as soon as you have to deal with it, deal with it and make things right. And then you learn to walk in that positional righteousness. Your practical righteousness and your positional righteousness start to come together more when you understand that you have that breastplate of righteousness on. And putting on the armor of God is not a matter of, of going through the motions, but it's a matter of understanding, you know what, I'm righteous in Christ. And that's what the Bible says. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, I hope that's helpful, just and true. Good to see you. As always, good to have you here. Uh, I appreciate that. Good to see you, Rapture Watch. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, um, if you're new here, here for the very first time, really glad to have you. Um, if you have a question, then go ahead and write question out. Write your question out. Reread it a couple times. Make sure uh, that it makes sense. All right. And uh, just looking, and we have a question from Rapture Watch, which I just saw had joined us. All right, so um, Rapture Watch says, question, the sun and the moon were created on the fourth day, but how do we get to the fourth day without the sun and the moon uh, to time the first three days? Yeah, that's a really good question, um, Rapture Watch. And I think for that, let's go back to Genesis chapter one. And I do know that this is one of the, the ways in which those who believe in an older earth will combat the, 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 the six-day creation. They'll come back and say, this obviously can't mean a first and second day when the sun hasn't come up or set yet. And so, let's just, let's just read this. Let's just bring it on here. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and morning were the first day. So we don't have the moon and the sun, but we've got light. 
And whatever that light is, it brings evening and it brings the first day. It's not the rotation of the earth around the sun, but it's it's something. I mean, is the earth at this point spinning? Is light fixed in the place where it's going to be? Did God create light and later put the light bearers exactly where they were? But it sure seems to me like God creates light. That's the, the first thing he creates after the heavens and the earth, right? We've got the heavens and the earth, and we know that there's water at that point, and then God creates light, and then there's the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Um, thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and so it and it was so, and God called the firmament heaven, so evening and morning, and there was a second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And God called the dry land earth and gathered <coughs> together the waters and called the sea. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herbs and trees and fruits. So did I, um, let's see, did I miss? Let me see, let me get here. Um, so it was morning, evening, and then God said, let there be light. So yeah, I mean, in this creation, we have grass and trees before we ever have the sun created, right? So God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years, which of course, in ancient times, people would be led and guided by the stars. Uh, lights in the firmament, heavens um, to give light on the earth, and so it was. Um, so I'm going to, I, I don't know that you could come back and use this passage, Rapture Watch, to try to say that it's a long earth. Because time, space, matter, light, the speed of light, the time, space, matter continuum are all relative. And so God's creating things and creates light and it causes evening and morning and the first day and I take that literal. Now, I don't argue with people over whether or not the earth is, is old or young because God created it to look old. We look at the earth and it looks old. And so if that's what people find when they look at the earth is that it looks old. The day God created it, how old did the earth look on the day God created it? How old was Adam on the day he was created? That's a good question. He was a day old, but how old did he look? And you could argue with the scientists to say, how old do you think Adam is? They would look at him and go, oh, he's got a beard, he's probably 30. And you would go, nope, one day old. See, I got you. a dumb scientist, you don't know. But why would we even try to do that with a scientist, with Adam? Because Adam, God created Adam to, to be a certain age. And so how old was the earth when God created it? Was it like Adam? There was, you know, was it, was it created with the sense of, of time? included in it. We could say that because light travels at a certain speed and we can look at the light coming from other stars and we can see things happening in the in the universe around us, that that has a, a sense of age to it. So why would I argue with someone about the age? I just don't do it. Now, put a gun to my head and ask me what I believe. I believe God created the earth in, in, in literal days. That's what I believe. Uh, could I be wrong? Yeah, I could be wrong about that. It, it could be something different that's here. Uh, and so um, I think it's not that easy 
to look at it and try to figure out that, you know, the day system by looking at when the sun and the moon and the stars were created. But it is interesting. All right. So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Rapture Watch, thank you for your question. Uh, it's a good one. Uh, let's see. What do we have here? And Rapture Watch, you can um, have a follow-up question if you would like to. Um, okay, so I think we've got a follow-up here from Justin True, which was asking about our positional righteousness and how we make that more of our, our experience. How do we practically make our positional? You're probably just writing something here in the middle and it got submitted a little bit early. Um, so I'll wait to see, um, just in truth, if you've got more to that question, cause there's not a question mark on it. So, um, <clears throat> I'm going to wait and I, I may come back and answer what you've got there. Um, so, um, we have a question for Paul, Paul, good to see you. Good to have you here with us. Paul says, um, it is written, judge a tree by its fruits. Correct. When is it okay to judge? If ever. Thanks. So this goes back to our first question that we had today. And um, Jesus does talk about this in our in that passage. So let me just get back there again, and we'll take a look at at what it says um, in Matthew seven. And so Jesus, again here, he's making a statement to us. Let me get back to Matthew seven here. Matthew seven, one. All right, let me go ahead and just put this back up on the screen for you here again. Uh, so Jesus is making a statement here, judge not that you be not judged. Now it's context and context is everything. So why is he saying judge not that you be not judged for what, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. So his idea to not being overjudged because the judgment we judge with is going to be judged is not to judge. But obviously we have to judge certain things. And he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is why we want to be very careful. And why I said in the beginning, we want to get this right. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look the plank is in your own eye, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so here again, this is, this is some judgment that's involved in this. He's got a speck in his eye but I need to make sure I get this, the, the plank out of my own eye first, and then I can see clearly to help him. Uh, it says, if anyone's caught in a sin, you are spiritual, go to such a one and restore such a one. So we covered uh, uh, this in the very beginning of this um, study, and it goes on here in, you, you asked specifically about judge them by your, their fruit. Uh, let's see, um, yeah, so let me go here. Let me, let me, let's go to the passage where you're talking about specifically. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. So you got to judge them to beware of them. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. So we're, we are fruit inspectors. So I'm careful, even with a false, a teacher that's teaching false teachings, not to judge them as to whether or not they're saved. Instead, I just look at their fruits and go, there's problems. There's problems here. And let God be the judge. I'm not the judge. I get to judge what they say. For example, the Bible says, let one prophesy and let the others judge. So there's ways in which we judge. One person prophesies and the rest of us go, we get to determine whether or not that's from God. So this is not a blanket statement. He gives us the statement to judge not lest we be judged 
for us to understand that in the manner I judge, I'm going to be judged. So, I want to be the person who doesn't judge very much, Paul. I want to be the person who walks in mercy and, and doesn't add a, a lot, all right? Um, how do we practically make our positional righteousness in Christ our daily experience? All right, so I, <clears throat> I already answered that question. I'm not sure if I've gone back here or maybe it's duplicating some of these. Um, but yeah, I did Justin True address that. Um, let's go back. Let's go um, go to, um, is this um, Elias? Elias? E Eliza? Eliza. Let's go with Eliza, all right? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Eliza. In John 14, 12, Jesus says, we will do greater things than greater things. Then in Mark 13, 15, sends out the 12 with power to cast out demons. <clears throat> do we as Christians today have that power? Thanks, Eliza. I appreciate your question. Um, yeah, Jesus said, behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. What an incredible statement that is. The Bible says, if we are in Christ, the evil one cannot touch us. How powerful that is. And yes, I do believe that when we encounter someone who is possessed, we can deal with that possession. You have to have, again, some discernment on is this person really possessed. What's interesting to me is that in all of the Old Testament, you have a few people that have problems with demons, but there's no one casting out a demon. There's not one demon-possessed person that has a demon cast out of them. Saul seems to have the spirit harass him, um, but nothing like in the New Testament times where you've got all these demons being cast out. And it seems like it may have been concentrated more around the time of Christ and the Messiah. And then when you get into the book of Acts, you do find demons in the book of Acts, but less and less as the book seems to go on. That's not to suggest that we don't have people who are demon-possessed and that we don't have authority over them because we do. And I believe as his disciples, we are given that same authority. All right. So thank you uh, very much, Eliza, for your question. Um, I think that we have that power and we should use it. All right. Um, I'm just thinking of my life. Let's see. Okay, so let's just go ahead and go on here. <clears throat> we have a question from Michelle. Um, Michelle says, I'm a new believer. Uh, good to have you walking with Christ. I'm really excited for you, what God's going to do and where God's going to bring you and the maturity level God's got for you. Um, Michelle says, I'm a new believer and am learning about the Bible. I noticed that a lot of churches have coffee shops in their churches. Is that Okay. John 2, 13 through 17. So, let's go to John and take a look at this passage. John 2, 13 through 17. John 2, 13 through 17. Yeah, okay. Let me bring this up on the screen here, Michelle. We'll come back to your question here in just a moment. Let's read this. So, it says, Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. When he had made whips of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and uh, poured out the, the changers' money and overturned tables and, he, uh, and those who sold doves. Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then, then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for my father's house has eaten me up. So, yeah, we want to be careful in churches 
that we aren't making them a house of merchandise. The question is, is a coffee house in the church the same thing as setting up tables with doves and sheep and, and money changers that were there? What we do know is that these were the bazaars of Annas. Annas was the ex-high priest. Caiaphas was the current high priest. We know that they were taking advantage of people. People were coming in to worship the Lord and they were taking advantage of them in their worship. They had to exchange their money to be able to give tithes and they were causing, they were charging more money than they should. Uh, they were uh, selling perfect lambs or doves uh, in order and when, when yours might be rejected. And this was causing people bitterness when they came in the house of God. And so is that happening with a coffee shop? or with a bookstore that sells Bibles and books to help people in their, their walk with Christ. Um, if somehow the church is making the bookstore somehow connected to, to worship or, or a coffee shop somehow connected to worship, um, I can tell you that churches are not don't have a coffee shop there to be able to make money. That's not their goal. The goal is for fellowship to be able to be there. And I don't think that that's a violation of these things because I don't think they're violating the things that he had said that were going on in the temple. Okay, um, Michelle, uh, <clears throat> as we, I, I love that you're making your way through the scriptures and you're finding these things and you're looking for application. I believe that as we approach the word of God, we need to give, first of all, our full attention to the word of God and then we need to be ready to learn from it and find out what it says and then apply that to our lives. And um, some people may run their um, coffee houses in a way that might not be as good as others, but I don't think that that's the issue. The issue wasn't, it was that they were, they were connected to their worship. The money changers were connected to the giving, the buying of the doves and selling that were connected to their worship, and they were making profit off of people's desire to worship, not trying to promote fellowship, which is what um, we do with our coffee shop. And we have a coffee shop, full disclosure, right? We have a coffee shop in our church, and I believe it's okay for us to have a coffee shop in our church. And I don't think we're making merchandise by doing, by doing that, or by selling t-shirts at some point to help you know, an event be, be made better known um, because we're not connecting them to the worship. All right. So thank you very much, Michelle. Good to have you here. Um, and as always, Michelle, if you have a follow-up question, then I would love to take that follow-up question. All right. Um, so um, we have, let's see what it was. Yeah, we got plenty of time. So we have a question from Joe Ellen. Joe Ellen, um, we had looked at your question to start about judgment. Uh, he says, hi, Pastor Robert. Hi, Joe Ellen. Good to see you. Can you give your opinion about the He Gets Us campaign? Thank you. Yeah, I don't know anything about the organization that did He Gets Us. Um, it became controversial uh, in the uh, with the Super Bowl. And I think uh, people didn't like it, like it because it was a, because it was like a, what's the right word? Gentle rebuke, right? Because you got all these hateful things that have happened that people have justified in being hateful and then you know the simple love your enemy and then he gets us and so i personally i like it um i might not like it so much if i if i know the groups that are behind it and so i'm careful to, I, I don't want to give my endorsement to something when i don't know what it is or, or who's behind it but the the second one i thought was not as 
as clear or as good as the first one, uh, but I still think it's good. Um, Jesus said, love your enemy. And I heard somebody say today, who's saying that? Who says love your enemy? When, when do you ever see that platformed on any level? You know, maybe in churches when they're quoting Jesus, but Jesus is the person who said that and love your enemy is such a, such a powerful statement. So um, I like it, Joellen, all right? And um, that's again, coming from a place where I don't know anything about the organization that put that up there. Uh, criticisms, maybe they could have spent money, they should have spent the money on, on feeding the poor rather than doing that. But how do you know that they're not feeding the poor? And they're obviously in an organization that has been given a lot of money to, to oversee. And so how they're using that, they can, can seek God and they felt that maybe this was a, a little bit better thing to do. And maybe it was effective because, um, you know how they say, they, you know, they say, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yells loudest is the one that got hit. And so maybe this really hit people where they were. So Rakaya um, has a follow-up to her question. She says she doesn't want a title. Her actions seem to indicate that she's filled with the Holy Spirit, good but I got crickets after, and see, after explaining Catholicism is a work-based denomination. Now, I worry. All right, yeah, so I, I see that require. Um, yeah, if, and remember, there are plenty of, of Protestant churches that can become work-based as well. But if you believe that you're saved because you kept the sacraments, that's a problem. And that there are individuals within the Catholic Church that believe in Christ and that our Christians is good, but oftentimes the dogma that you hear from the Catholic Church is not good. And so this is just something she's going to have to work through. And um, Lord, um, Lord, would you give Roquia wisdom on dealing with her friend, on how to really interact with her? and um, making sure that she really has a commitment to Christ. Um, it's interesting that someone who's a brand new Christian doesn't want a title. Christian, is, I guess Christian's a title, um, but, but I, wanna be, I wanna be identified with Christians. I don't wanna be separated from them. I wanna be a part of them. So I'm still thinking, what is it about Christian that she doesn't like that she doesn't wanna be identified with them? I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm with them. I take communion together with them. She takes communion even in the Catholic Church with other Christians. And so I just see a little bit of a, of a disconnect between not wanting to be called a Christian and the Catholic faith. I'd, I would try to find out you know, why, why that? If, if she's, she's Catholic, if she's Catholic, then why do you want to be called a Christian? What is it about Christian the Catholic fake. And she says she just doesn't want titles and doesn't want to talk about it. I don't know where you go from there, Rakaya. Maybe at some point you just are quiet and wait for a better opportunity uh, to be able to share with her. All right. Hopefully that, that helps. Um, we have a question from Andre. Andre, good to see you. Andre says, um, Jesus stated he will prepare a place for us, John 14, 2. John saw the first heaven and the first earth pass away, Revelation 21, 11, is the new heaven or the new earth, the place. Uh, yeah, I go to prepare a place for you. New heaven and a new earth. Um, so let's go to Revelation 21. I was just, I was in this passage earlier today. 
um, just wanting to look at what's the end of the things here and what's the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth. Um, so let's let's go there. Revelation 21. I think it's verse 1, right? Um, so let me go ahead and put this up on the screen here. Uh, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now my question here is, is the heaven that passed away, the heaven that God's throne was in, that the altar was in, or was it the heavens that we see? And so when we start talking about preparing a place for us, we know that we're going to live in the New Jerusalem. So I would say the New Jerusalem is a place that's prepared for us. Um, did Jesus go and prepare a place for us and then that place get destroyed when he destroyed the new heaven and the new earth? I would think, I would think not. I think that he's talking about the earth and the heavens, the heavens that we see. So there's a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea, which breaks some people's hearts, by the way. Then I saw, then I, John, saw the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared for the bride adorned for her husband. So this is the new heaven and new earth because the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. And um, so I guess I'm going to just go ahead and say, that I believe that the New Jerusalem is the place that he has prepared for us. Uh, it comes out of heaven. So does it come from a place where where was the New Jerusalem until it was created? Is it already created today? I guess these are questions that I don't know that we get the answer to. Um, but I kind of have always thought Jesus is preparing a place for us now as as we live for him for us to go and be and be besides him, but um, and be with him. All right, Andre, thank you for your question. I appreciate that. We have three more minutes. We have another question from Justin True. Justin True says, beside baptism, making disciples, what are some things Christians should do for the kingdom um, or Christ daily? Thanks, Justin True. I appreciate that. Um, I think the most important thing for us is walking with Christ daily, interacting with him, getting to know him, having a relationship with him, walking in the spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, delighting in the Lord so that we get the desires of our heart, remembering we're the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth, that we've got a call to be an, a, a, an ambassador for him as if we're employing people to be reconciled to God. All of these things are important for us as Christians to remember. The more we walk with him, the more these things should be should be there for us. Um, the more I encourage people at the church to have these things daily and regularly uh, in their lives. So yeah, you're a light. You're shining for him everywhere you go. You are filled with the Holy Spirit that is making you a witness for him. And out of you flows living water everywhere that you go. And uh, so it could be, you know, it could be any of these things. Um, you're welcome. Eliza, I, I appreciate that. So thank you again, um, uh, Justin True, for your questions. I do see that we have at least um, Eliza from Facebook. So we got something going on uh, with Facebook here. And uh, we are just about out of time. Um, good to have you guys here. And those of you that joined us for the first time, um, really good uh, to have you with us. I hope that God really does bless you. Uh, you find yourself walking close to Jesus and that if there's anything in your life that needs to get out of your life, that you would listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The word convict means to convince. 
and he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But also judgment starts in the house of God, and he's able to reveal to us things in our life that have to be taken out of our lives. And our desire should be that we would get those things out of there and find out what real life with Christ is like. The Bible says that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And I don't want anything in my life that's going to keep me from walking in that times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord, all right? So if there's any other questions on here, I'll look at them for our first question for Saturday, our Saturday Q&A. We have a service in about an hour. We're gonna be talking about the first four trumpets. We're gonna talk about the seven trumpets in general, but the first four trumpets, which are the earth, environmental things, the things that happen to the earth during the tribulation period. So I look forward to covering those things with you guys as we take a look. It is an in-depth study, uh, but we are uh, taking we're, we're, we're taking all of chapter eight because it's fairly short. It's 18 verses. Um, all right, so thank you very much again. Um, and, oh, let's see. All right, so um, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll get this a little bit later on, our time's done, but I'll get this a log of our, the chats a little bit later on, and I'll go back in to take care of these things. But love you guys, stay close to Jesus, uh, search his word, look for the truth to stand solidly in it, and uh, we will see you guys um, later on, all right? God bless you, I'm out.